Is the Bible intimidating for you to read? Do you need someone to help guide you through God's Word? Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time, but let's face it, it can also be a challenge to read because it contains more than 600,000 words, two testaments, and 66 different books. But how does it all fit together? How do we clearly understand God's continuous story from Genesis to Revelation? That's why I wrote my new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Volume one based on the 39 books of the Old Testament is now available, and I'd like to send you a copy. Here's Brian with details. Ron's new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1, Old Testament, is now available. For a gift of $30 or more, request your copy of the 384-page book today. When you order the print book, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The Digital Library contains 66 video sermons, 66 audio messages, 66 downloadable sermon notes, and 8 ebooks. To order your copy of The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1, Old Testament, go to somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And Pastor Ron, I'm sure many of our listeners are looking forward to reading this important book. I know I am. Talk about some of the challenges you faced as you put this project together. Then tell us why this two-volume book can be such a great resource for anyone listening right now. Brian, I knew the ultimate road trip through the Bible would be a pretty big challenge to write as a two-volume set, as challenging to write as the Bible is intimidating for some people to read. But it was truly a labor of love, as is reading God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. I'm hopeful that these resources will show the readers just how beautifully the whole of the Bible fits together into an inspired and unified love letter from God to every member of his creation. Thanks, Pastor Ron. Stop by somethinggoodradio.org to order volume one of this great resource for your gift of $30 or more, or call our offices at 757-276-1099. If you would like to mail your check, our address is P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. It's impossible to start praying and never stop. You've got to work, got to raise the kids, you've got to sleep. So what does it mean when the Apostle Paul tells us to pray without ceasing? What should the prayer life of a mature believer in Christ look like? Find out next on today's Something Good as Dr. Ron Jones continues his teaching series, Colossians, Jesus is Greater Than. Stay with us now, but remember, you can always listen to Something Good on your schedule. Our audio is available on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Now, here's Ron with today's Something Good radio message, faith, relationships, and hospitality. Well, we are finishing up our study of the book of Colossians, and we've come to chapter 4. And uh, beginning in verse 2, the Apostle Paul does something uh, not unsurprising if you are familiar with Paul's writings. He ends his letter with an encouragement to pray. Look at it in verse 2 with me. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us 
a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Uh, Paul ends his letter in the same way he began his letter, with prayer. If you go back to chapter 1, we hear him say in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Prayer bookends uh, the book of Colossians. He starts with prayer. uh, He ends with prayer. Now, his encouragement to pray is uh, several fold. It's worth diving into these verses 2, 3, and 4 just a little bit because the first thing he does is he encourages us to persist in prayer. He basically says, don't quit. Don't quit. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Uh, don't, don't be a quitter when it comes to prayer, but continue in it. Elsewhere in his letter to the Thessalonians, he says, pray without ceasing. You say, well, how do you do that, pastor? I've got to work. I've got to raise a family. I can't be down on my knees in a quiet place of prayer 24 hours a day. No, but you can always be in the attitude of prayer. You you can always be in communion and in conversation with God, even as you walk into that business appointment or as you drive down the freeway or as you're going about your business. Certainly, there are times when you want, want to get alone with God in your quiet place, in your prayer closet. But we're to, we're to go throughout our day in constant communication with God. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Don't quit. Don't give up is the encouragement here. It reminds me of two of the parables that Jesus told specifically to encourage us to pray and not quit, not give up. He told the parable of the persistent friend at midnight, uh, the friend who needed some food, and he goes over to his neighbor's house at midnight and knocks on the door until his friend gets up out of bed and answers the door, uh, a picture of persistence. And then uh, the parable of the persistent widow who, who sought justice at the, uh, in the courtroom of a otherwise uh, known as an unjust judge, and she was persistent and persistent and persistent. Jesus tells these stories to encourage us, don't give up in prayer. Not because prayer is the way we bend God's will to ours. We're not trying to wear Him down in our prayer life, but it's how uh, we get more in line with the will of God. Uh, Prayer is always to align our will to His and not the other way around such that things are happening on earth as it is in heaven, uh, not in heaven as it is in our little corner of the world. And Paul just says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And then he tells us to stay alert. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, being watchful. In ancient times, cities had walls around them, and those walls were quite wide, wide enough for a chariot uh, to circle around. And there were watchmen on the wall, 24 hours a day, on their, their posts, uh, scanning the horizon, looking uh, perhaps for any approaching danger, any enemy that might be approaching the city. The watchmen on the wall uh, were important, especially at, you know, in, in the later hours of the night. And if the watchman fell asleep or the watchman uh, didn't show up, uh, the, the city was vulnerable and uh, vulnerable to attack by the enemy. When we pray, we are like watchmen uh, who are are watching for uh, the enemy who prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I think of Nehemiah in chapter 4 and verse 9 where Nehemiah says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God, 
and set a watch against the enemy day and night. And this is what we do in prayer. When we cease to pray, when we cease to pray for ourselves, for our families, for the ministry that God has entrusted to us, uh, we, we have made ourselves more vulnerable to the enemy's attack. So continue steadfastly in prayer. And then he says, always do it with thanksgiving. Any prayer that is not uh, flowing from a heart that is grateful to God for all that He has given to us borders on uh, the edge of, uh, of hubris and pride and, and selfishness. And so Paul, uh, thanksgiving is never far from Paul's instructions to pray. He, he, he goes on to request prayer, and it's very interesting what he asks us to pray for, what he asks the Colossians to pray for, and what he doesn't ask for. He says, at the same time, pray also for us. This is a personal request. He says that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Remember, Paul was writing from prison. Uh, he underwent two imprisonments in Rome. This was the easiest of the two. He was under house arrest. Uh, that meant that he had some freedoms to receive guests. He had some freedoms to walk around outside and throughout the city, but when he did, he was always chained to a Roman guard. But it's interesting that he did not pray that the prison doors would be open for his release. No, what he prayed for was for the advancement of the gospel, the open door of the gospel, so that he could continue to preach the very gospel that got him thrown in prison in the first place. What an unselfish request uh, for the Apostle Paul. It was all about the gospel. It was all about the advancement of the gospel, and his personal comfort was secondary, if, if even there. And I would just ask you, how, 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 um, how committed to the gospel are you to where your request for prayer is, God, give me some, some open door, some way to communicate the gospel to, and you fill in the blank with the person you're praying for, that coworker, that neighbor, that friend, that family member, that extended family, whoever it is, are you, are you so... Uh, filled up with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you're, you're less concerned about your own personal comforts as you are the larger thing of the gospel being advanced. And when the opportunity comes, Paul says, pray that I may speak it clearly. Oh, please, let's not muddy the gospel. Don't muddy it up. Just speak it clearly. Tell the story of how you came to faith in Jesus Christ and what He means to you. You don't need to be a, a theologian. You don't have to go to seminary. Just testify to what Jesus did for you and how He changed your life and ask God to uh, uh, help you to make that clear in the moment the opportunity comes. The proclamation of the gospel must always be empowered by prayer. That's the lesson here. Let me say that again. The proclamation of the gospel must always be empowered by prayer. He begins with prayer. At the beginning of the book, he ends with an encouragement to pray as well. And, and then he, he transitions into um, matters relating to our conduct and our speech. Let's read on beginning in verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
Uh, first, he deals with our conduct. The word walk there suggests uh, how, how, we, how we conduct our lives. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Now, who are the outsiders? Well, those who are not in Christ. And we've already established in, in Paul's letter to the Colossians and elsewhere in the New Testament in his letters the, the importance and the, and the richness of that phrase being in Christ. Uh, we had a message in this series titled, The Mystery of Christ in You. Are you in Christ and is Christ in you by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you are, from biblical point of view, you're considered an insider. Anyone who is not in Christ by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is considered an outsider. And what Paul is acknowledging here is that we as believers in Christ, we are not of this world. Our citizenship is now in heaven, but we live in the world. Remember, the Colossians were in Christ, but in Colossae at the same time. Uh, to put it in our terms, we are in Christ as believers in Jesus Christ, but in Virginia Beach. And, and Paul is assuming that uh, as, as, as those who are in Christ, as those who are insiders, that we will have interaction with outsiders. We will have interaction with people who, who uh, don't even know Jesus Christ. And he says, walk in wisdom with them. Walk in wisdom with them. In other words, don't say or do anything that would make it difficult to share the gospel with them. Beware of your conduct. Don't say anything. Don't do anything that would make it difficult then to have a conversation about Jesus. In other words, don't become their stumbling block. And that's a convicting thought in and of itself because none of us lives perfectly, right? But the wise person is always mindful of the interactions that they might have with other believers and how their conduct, let alone their speech, might impact a potential opportunity to share the gospel with them. Still ahead, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Need prayer today? Visit somethinggoodradio.org to share your request, and our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer. Use the Explore option at the top of the homepage, then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You icon. While you're there, visit the Something Good digital library with more than 500 hours of video and audio teaching from Dr. Ron Jones. Search the streaming library by scripture or topic to find answers to your Bible questions and grow in your Christian faith. If you want to gauge your level of spiritual maturity, one of the best ways to go about it is to look at the way you spend your time. Here's Ron and the rest of today's Something Good radio message, Faith, Relationships, and Hospitality. He says, make the best use of the time. Another translation says, redeem the time. And uh, there's a parallel to this in the book of Colossians where Paul says, redeem the time because the days are evil. Uh, you, you are, as a believer in Christ who's in Christ and in Virginia Beach at the same time, you're going to have interactions with outsiders, with unbelievers. Uh, redeem the time. In other words, seize the opportunity to share the gospel with them. The word redeem comes from the marketplace, and we could think of it as uh, the business person who is always scanning the economy and scanning the marketplace for a business opportunity. And when he or she sees that opportunity, springs into action and seizes the business opportunity. Or maybe the shopper, 
the shopper who's always looking for a bargain. Uh, my wife is a bargain shopper. She can get something on sale. Oh, my. I mean, just always, always scanning, looking for the best deals. And when she sees the deal, seizes that opportunity and saves us a lot of money on something we might need to purchase. So for us in Jesus Christ, and even more important, is seizing the opportunities, those daily opportunities that come along to have a conversation with somebody, a meaningful conversation with even one person about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, walk in wisdom. Make the best use of time. And then he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. By the way, he's assuming that the gospel is best communicated verbally. I know some people who say, well, I just let my life be an example. Okay, he's already dealt with our conduct there, but he's also assuming you'll have a conversation with him. That when you have the opportunity to share and to testify of your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll use words. Don't just rely upon your actions and don't just rely upon the example, as important as that is. But the gospel is always communicated with our words, and he says, let your speech be gracious. Be gracious. You'll never argue anybody into the faith. Um, as much as Jesus sometimes put the Pharisees even in their place, uh, his, his, his speech was always seasoned with grace. Paul says, um, be gracious, seasoned with salt. Why does he put that phrase in there? I think of the time that Jesus said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. Back in ancient times, salt was the refrigeration system. They didn't have the refrigeration system we have today. And so meat in the marketplace or fish, those, those dead things that would decay faster without refrigeration were packed in salt. And salt was a valuable commodity unless it had lost its saltiness. And they would pack the food in salt to, to preserve it and, and to hold back the rapid decay of that, that dead animal meat there. And Jesus used that comparison. He says, disciples, you are the salt of the earth. In other words, this, this world in which we live in is, is, is fallen, and, and there are many who are not in Christ yet who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And the presence, listen to me, the presence of the church of Jesus Christ in this world is like a preserving agent. When the rapture takes place and the church is taken out of this world and all hell breaks loose during a seven-year period of time known as the tribulation period, it's because the salt is gone. The preserving unit and decay rapidly happens. But when the church, who is that preserving unit, uh, loses its saltiness, maybe doesn't speak as graciously as we should or walk in wisdom toward outsiders or seize the opportunities to share the gospel. When we've lost our saltiness in some way, watch the, watch the culture just decay faster and faster and faster. And is that not happening in our culture today? We wonder what's going on in our world and even in our own backyard. Maybe it points right back to us as believers in Jesus Christ who need to let our speech always be seasoned with salt. Let's not lose our saltiness. Wearsby says it this way, the Christians walk and talk must be in harmony with each other. And that's what uh, Paul is encouraging. And then in verses 7 through the end of the chapter, 
Paul does what is uh, pretty common in ancient letter writing. Epistles like this that were written not only by the Apostle Paul, but uh, everyday people who wrote letters back then would often end their letters with greetings to various people, and Paul does the same. Um, Let me pick it up in verse 7. Pay attention to all the names, the relationships that Paul had in his ministry. He says, beginning in verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Don't you love Epaphras? He's the prayer warrior on the team. Uh, He prays that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. God bless Nympha for opening up her house, for being hospitable to the body of Christ and opening up her house so that they can meet there. Um, Verse 16, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I wonder what that's all about. Uh, Maybe Archippus was uh, being lazy about his calling. We don't know. But Paul gives a little bit of instruction to this guy named Archippus at the end of the greeting there. Um, Long list of names and relationships. Uh, Paul was as good at building friendships as he was sharing the gospel. And it's a reminder, too, that we're in this thing called the Christian life not alone, but we, we do it in partnership with one another. We need each other. There are no lone rangers in the Christian life. If you're trying to live the Christian life by yourself or out on the fringes of community somewhere, just kind of checking in once in a while to a church but never really getting deeply involved and deeply committed in relationships, it, it doesn't work that way. We were created for community. We were created for relationships and friendships. We see it in the Godhead between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And and we're meant to be in community, in Christ, and in this world at the same time so that we're here to encourage each other. I don't have time to tell the stories of every one of the people that are mentioned here uh, toward the end of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Not to mention all the other names that are associated with Paul's ministry throughout the New Testament. Somebody has counted up to a hundred names throughout the book of Acts and all of Paul's letters that are associated with Paul's ministry. In Romans chapter 16 alone, 26 names he drops into the conversation there.
Thanks so much for being here for today's Something Good radio message. Faith, relationships, and hospitality. Now to listen to any of Ron's messages on demand, stop by somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. I don't know what kind of past you have. I don't know what kind of uh, circumstance the devil is reminding you of and trying to use to define who you are, uh, something that may be holding you back from being all that you can become in Jesus Christ. But in Christ, Onesimus became a faithful and beloved brother, somebody who was useful to Paul in the ministry. And he writes the letter to Philemon to say, Philemon, you need to find forgiveness in your heart for Onesimus and receive him back. Isn't that a great story? Jesus Christ is always greater than your past and than your failures. That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Faith, Relationships, and Hospitality. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.